Or like you can take the GPS, <laughs> just give me my heated <laughs> steering wheel. <laughs> I don't need GPS because that's what your phone's for, right? The car GPS is always wrong. It's always wrong. It has led me into <sighs> livestock fields before instead of a major highway. Like I can see this is incorrect. And sometimes you still go for it like an idiot, but I'm <laughs> following my own human instincts now a little bit better. When uh, we first started touring, the GPS we had only recognized places that you've been. <laughs> so oh. so you had to go there and it would like program itself. Like this is oh, a dozen years ago in the early days of GPS. Yeah. It, and I think it was just like a... A super, super shitty one. Doesn't that defeat the entire oh, exactly. purpose of yeah. like, well, if you've been there, chances are you know how to get there. I know. Go there first. That's why it's yeah. funny. You tell me that, how to yeah, get there. Yeah, you tell me. <laughs> and then next time I'll tell you. Yeah. Besties. Yeah, it was great for touring. But what's going on? Oh. Vanessa Furlong. What yay, is going on? Yay. Together. <laughs> Oh, finally. Yeah, it's happened to me. Okay. We're going back to the 90s now. Yeah. Good. That's let's go. Let's go all the way. Do you want to go back to the 90s and start your storytelling as oh, to good how Lord. you've come to be where you are? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a good idea? Pick an age in the know. 90s. Give us a quick bit. 90s story to 90s kick things story. off. Um, <laughs> oh, God. See, in the 90s. Is that like, high school for you? That's high school. Yeah. Okay. And where was high school? That would have been an old Hampton, the old New Brunswick Hampton. Is that right? Yeah. Have we talked about this before? I don't think we have. I have tons of family in Hampton and there used to spend all of my summers there growing up. And uh, yeah, like like the do creamy we, cooler. Do we? What, Are no. we related? Are we? <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe. So but, yeah. so most of my fam like the last names of my family were the Locks. So mm -hmm. my cousins were oh Ryan, Jonathan, <gasps> and Benjamin Locke. <laughs> Did I had a crush <laughs> <laughs> on your cousins. <laughs> All of them. All oh, of your cousins. Shit. So John and Ryan, I forget which one was the older one and which one. Ryan's the oldest. Okay. Yeah. So they were popular um back in the day and they were the hot guys and we crushed on them and they were absolutely so far out of my league but they oh, were i don't know about that but oh, they they were you didn't very, know me very kind <laughs> yeah yeah so maybe oh our paths crossed earlier isn't that than where you expected. won the three-point shooting contest in basketball i did that was my 90s story <laughs> yes basketball. in hampton yeah that's amazing this is why we're married yeah. Because, oh. <laughs> uh... <laughs> no, it's true. When Mike and I first started dating, I shared that story, not knowing what a basketball fan he was, and I'm I'm pretty sure that's why like we ended up dating. <laughs> that was it. That was. And then we went to go play basketball together at a court, and I swear I missed 100% of the shots I took, and I was mortified. I'm like, he's either going to think I'm lying, or I'm just like old and washed up now. That <laughs> yeah. yeah, she used to be good, but. Yeah, we were using a soccer ball though that day. Oh, you did all right. Oh, <laughs> from Inverness. The, yeah, the lineage of the Ryan family. Yeah, so grew up in Hampton. <laughs> Hampton. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I went to school in Hampton. I grew up on yeah. the Kingston Peninsula, so okay. it was a good, solid hour and fifteen minute bus ride. Oh, um, yeah, because we were we you know we were on a peninsula, so yeah, yeah. It takes a while to get out of there. A little while. A little and while. Uh, and when did you move to Halifax? Uh, it would have been 2005. Okay. So, yeah, because I was, I would have been in New Brunswick till 99, went to school in Quebec, and then uh, tried my hand at New Brunswick again after school, and I was like, nah, and ended up in Halifax, 2005. And what, as you were growing up in New Brunswick, in a relatively small town, I guess, mm. uh, what uh, was your creative journey then? Were you... Involved in music or circus, that you, like you are now. Like what? What were you into? I so uh, it was theater for me. That's what started yeah. it. Like I was a super goffed out kid. I had the long leather trench coat. I had you know the combat boots. I was spray painting. I had shaved my head. I was wearing like trash necklaces, like literal trash <laughs> around my neck. It was anything to provide shock, right? Yeah, and. There was uh, there was a teacher who asked me to audition, 
And I was like, what, what is he seeing? You know? And, and he's just like, get up on the stage and act like a five-year-old. And so I did. And he's like, okay, cool. Now do this and do this. And he kept throwing things at me. And then he gives me a lead part in the show. <laughs> and I was like, what? and that was my first hint at like, oh, someone actually it like paid attention or like believed in me for a thing or whatever. So yeah, I ended up in theater and that was, that was where it all started. That's really cool to have had someone almost see it in you before you saw it in yourself. Mm -hmm. I I don't hear those stories as often, Mm -hmm. like these kind of recognition, especially in a kid, like how lovely that that was the case for you. I I think they knew that it was all bullshit. You know, I think they figured out that Mm. um, underneath all of the black makeup and the the trying so hard to be odd that there was something actually going on because it was the same group of teachers who in the end I ended up with a bunch of scholarships coming out of high school none of which I had applied for and I had come to find out that they had actually submitted a bunch of my work and it was them it was because of them that I ended up with all these scholarships and these were the parents who you know would ask um if I wanted to come over after school before um, doing a play and and ask, you know, if I needed a meal and all these things. Like, I, the, I there was some sort of, like, rescue mission. <laughs> so it was like Stray Cat Vanessa. <laughs> and, uh, but it was awesome because um, I, I clearly was missing that. And, and they led me on a pretty great path. Yeah. And yeah. and to have had that support and mm-hmm. help lead you on. So did you take them up on scholarships? Did you end up I in did. university uh, practicing theater? Yeah. Studying theater? Yeah, because I had, I had told one of them, because they asked me, they're like, what do you want to be? And I was like, oh, I'm going to be a psychologist. And he laughed at me. I was like, oh, that's not a good response. <laughs> <laughs> or something else. Or? or? <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, but as he's like, no, you're you're going to be a performer. I was like, oh, shoot. Okay. And so I, I just, yeah, I applied to some theater schools and ended up getting in a couple of them and, uh, and followed which one was the furthest away from home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I there. did that too. Yeah. What? I think it's part of growing up in a small town too. It is. Like get me to the capital city of mm. somewhere. Where did you end up going? I was at Bishops, which is um, just outside of Montreal. So yeah. in like the Eastern townships of Quebec. And what's the process of applying to a theater school? Are you submitting video? And I guess we, mm. I guess we had video back then in we the late nineties. Did <clears throat> you know? I actually, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't know if I had to do a reel. If I had to, I, she had I, other I, people I no doing idea. it for her. Yeah. <laughs> she just sat back and got a letter in the mail, and off she went. Boop. <laughs> yep. No, I really don't remember. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, it's, uh, I'm just more curious myself. Mm. Is that? Because they would have to judge you on your abilities, I guess. So. And I think yeah. some of them do. Like some of the more specialized schools, like National Theater School and places like Ryerson and thing like things like that. I, I do think that there's some element of audition that's there involved. There is. I yeah. auditioned for National Theater Did School, actually. School? I didn't get in. This was, yeah, like upon graduation of high school. And it was a very intensive intimidating mm. audition process and did you have to do it in montreal because that's where i no i did it in halifax really um but you know that was living in a small town nova scotia everyone from probably the maritimes came to halifax or it felt that way at least when yeah. i was 17 like yeah the whole world is here competing for these seven coveted spots so i didn't have my hopes up and it was really good practice i suppose and in, in just being under pressure not necessarily even for theater specific but just being from this small place with very little exposure yeah um it, it was probably good and even good to not get in because there wasn't a lot of not to say i never failed but failure especially again when you're not exposed to a lot and mike and i have talked about this even related to sports like mm. we both did pretty well in sports and then you reach these higher levels and you realize like oh i'm not I'm not number one. <laughs> I just am among my population of, you know, 200 people in my town. Yeah. So that was a good reality check, I suppose. That's a good point. I didn't know you did theater, too. Yeah, I, I, I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in our high school, but yep. we had a pretty solid theater program for a small town. And yeah, I, I loved it. I played Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh that was my last, uh, oh. like, grade 12 role. Yep. So, yeah, yep. good wow. stuff. Wow. I, uh... 
wrote a play called uh, Bingo Disco when I was in grade 12. <laughs> yes, you did. We love to start we, it. I'm using air quotes here when I say wrote because we never actually put anything on paper. It was uh, it was pretty bad. It was just um, we had a general idea how it went, but the line lines were different every time. <laughs> so <laughs> like an improv. oral tale. It was yeah. basically yeah, a improv with a general premise, and we performed that in front of like 400 people. Wow, to have had that recorded, yes, mm. what that would be worth today. <laughs> It'll be mm-hmm. funny to the people who were involved, but uh, everybody <laughs> yeah. else, like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. So that you, was pretty good, actually. So you go to Bishops. Did you finish that program? Yeah, so okay. I finished it early. Because mm. I, rather than, what is it, like four or five courses you're supposed to do a semester, I was like, let's do seven. Wow. So I ended up finishing quite early and then was like, well, now what? Because I still had a few years of university left. And uh, so then I was like, well, let's try music. And so I threw music on. Didn't I couldn't read a single note. I was like, what's well, a quarter note what's a where's b and but did you sing at that point already i did yeah yeah. so i was singing so so that was my primary instrument and then piano like is kind of thing that you have to learn anyway um and so yeah just took up music and ended up with my my double so that was the beginning and is that how the two of you first met, Mike and Vanessa here? I'm pointing through at? music, yes, yeah, through yeah. music, through uh, music. So uh, tell me about your first meeting. I was trying to think <clears throat> of the very first show we would have played with you guys, Shoot. and I, th- I think it would have been at the Elephant and Castle, because you, oh, you yeah. had a weekly that weekly thing yep. that was awesome. Like I think. Thursdays with every th- yeah three with sheet like Thursdays a three sheet yeah. okay this is it was like three dollars yeah to get in and we used to hold out like we had our guitar case out and you'd put your three dollars in there and I I feel like it was fifty or fifty two like there it was many weeks yeah oh yeah you I think you did it for a couple of years probably was it or steadily for one year yeah. and then after that it was kind of like more sporadic yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and we we jumped. Oh, I think we just got a message from one of you in the band, uh, maybe Ryan, and just asked us to open the show. And we we had heard a few, like, because you guys were postering the city like crazy. (laughs) You couldn't go anywhere without seeing a three-sheet poster. And uh, we said, yeah, we'd love to do that. We're just kind of getting going and trying trying to have as many people here as possible. And we were to... Fairly different styles of music. Like yes, we're playing alternative rock. You're doing like li- live hip hop with a beatboxer. Yeah, and somehow it just worked perfectly. I think it's because we all got along really well. It and, really did. Yeah. Um, but they were they were some of the most fun I've ever had playing shows. Like it would be just jammed in there. Everybody's just having an awesome time. Different styles of music happening, and yeah, we we had like a good. Band, uh, what do you band Good chemistry? A band crush yeah. on each other, I guess. <laughs> or we true. did on you guys anyway. <laughs> oh, oh, we did too. We had we had like this this beautiful pimped out van, and we would like just blast your music so loud because it was usually Ryan driving too. So Ryan yeah. ended up in charge of the music, and just sing and sing and sing like it. it yeah, it, it was this. It was this mutual like. There, there's something about, although we played one style of music, like every single one of us in the band all had our own flavors of what we listened yeah. to outside of that. And it, yeah. and it wasn't necessarily the type of music we were playing. Yeah. And there was something about what you guys were doing that hit all five of us. Like it, it was the flavor that just worked for all, yeah. all mm-hmm. of us, which was super interesting. Um, I, I don't know what it was about it, but yeah. Uh, it was a perfect, perfect time. I think both of us were kind of, climbing like yeah. you know we were we were just kind of getting going and lots of energy lots of optimism totally. and just that underground scene like and literally the the, the venue of the Elva <laughs> castle was in a basement but uh it was just, it was just like a kind of a scene i guess mm. and like consistent people were out every week and then they'd bring friends and yeah it was just a really nice vibe i guess and and it's something i miss like i don't and and I don't know if this is like kind of any fault of my own or what, but I'm feeling completely disconnected from that 
community. And I don't know if that community is still happening in music, you know, in in the city. And I don't know if it's a lack of venues or or just not know, like not being in the industry as much anymore. But I'm not feeling that same. I've wondered that myself and I'm not even in the music. I mean, by virtue of being married to a musician, of course, but I recall the time that you're both referencing because even as a music lover, mm. I there was something about the Halifax during those years. I felt like everybody knew everybody. Everyone was supportive of each other. Mm. You went to one another's shows. You'd go to an award show. You knew every performer. And I don't know that, yeah, is it that that scene is no longer there or that we've aged out of it perhaps <laughs> like let's let's just call a spade a spade no, here, I, think, but. I think there's a few things that play there and age is definitely one of them but like after because we like i said we were at this stage where uh we, we were hungry we were like yeah. you know like we we were we're gonna do whatever we have to 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 grow and we both did grow and then you get to a point where we couldn't even we couldn't play together at like the Elephant Castle because we're both at a phase of our career where mm-hmm. okay, we got to sell tickets, we got to do this and that. Like we're we could play and have an awesome time, but it's more like okay, we're at a point where we're trying to play the seahorse and get three hundred people in there, and you're doing the same, and you kind of have to start looking after your own career rather than yeah. just I'm going to play yeah. every gig yeah. possible, I'm going to do whatever, and you think like as you're growing, like, oh, it, the next stage is always going to be better and more awesome and more fun. And But when you think back to those those shows, they were, like, pretty special for sure. A hundred percent, yeah. Yeah, and and we, I guess it would have been 2018, would have been our last. Um, yeah. And, and then, like, the world kind of changed after yeah. that. So Is it's, that it's why it was say. your last show? 2018? Yeah. No, I... Like, with Three Sheet, you're referencing, like, was that yeah. kind of the end of the time that that band performed? And We we had our last official show mm-hmm. um, in 2018, and it was a planned last okay. show. Yeah, we knew, um, we knew we were going to try something else, because every one of us were in a different phase in our life, and we were ready for that next phase, and we wanted to go out with a bang, with everyone just remembering what it was that brought us all together in the first place yeah. and and hoping that someday we could revisit that nostalgia um, and share that with everyone again. But we didn't want to go out fizzling. We wanted to really, truly remember why we did it in the first place. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, I just got goosebumps. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's talk about Three Sheet for a minute because that, yeah. that was a really special band and oh, yeah. one of the most unique bands I've ever seen. Like, I've played in 10 countries around the world, mm. seen every style of music. And there's a special thing with, with that group of musicians. And you're singing your your beautiful vocals. Oh. Kevin playing this funky bass. <laughs> yeah. Ryan's got like the almost the alternative rock mindset mm. on guitar. EMC's maybe the best beatboxer alive. Yeah. And Cliff is just a freaking solid, solid hip-hop rappers yeah. I, I, that might be MC, the wrong terms yeah, 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 yeah um but that you guys coming together like kind of five completely different styles which mm-hmm. i've never really seen with a band before and somehow made it work perfectly yeah and, and it was everybody kind of came in together slowly um because like the band had evolved over time and who was involved in it yeah. you know um and so because like Clifford, um, well, Matt uh, was doing his own thing on his own. Yeah. Um, same with EMC. Like he'd been doing music for years. Um, and uh, and then Ryan um, it, it doing his own thing. Like everybody had been doing kind of their own thing with their own style and then became friends and was like, what would happen if we would jam? And, and it would be like Rogue's Roost um open mic or something or it would be like the Goresbrook. Yeah. Um, like you know what I mean? Just any opportunity to have a stage and and they would jam together and there was such chemistry on on listening to what each other was bringing. What was the gift that each person was bringing to the table and how do we enhance each other? 
Um, and so I would go and it was so funny. Ryan called me out so hard for it. I'm standing at the front of the stage. And when I listen to something and I'm really into it, I fold my arms and I'm studying. And I don't mean to have RBF, <laughs> but I, I literally, I fold my arms and I study like what is making me feel so good yeah. versus, you know, move into the music and smiling. That's just not how I take in music. And so I'm literally standing there with my arms folded, RBF, and Ryan's like, what the hell is wrong with you? He's like, do you like it? And I was like, no, I love it. You don't understand. Like, this is, wow. And and then I started, They, I think it was Rogue's Roost. I was dating Eric, yeah. so EMC at the time. And so I followed them everywhere. And I was like, guys, you don't understand. You're so good. And and you just moved me to want to create harmonies. And so they handed me a microphone. I did that. And then they were like, uh, you're in the band cool <laughs> and and that's how it happened uh, it was just everyone was really feeling each other's gifts i guess yeah i don't remember what year it was i want to say oh gosh maybe 13 years ago mm. but there was a cover of three sheet on the coast you guys maybe oh, won yeah. best yeah, yeah, band yeah. that year and you're front and center like your leg tattoos sticking out <laughs> of this mini skirt. And I didn't know, I didn't know you. I didn't know the band really at the time, but I was like, that woman is like, there's my dream girl on the cover of the local paper. Just so fierce. Like you've always just had this confidence and presence about you, not in an overbearing way, just in a, uh, just settling into yourself. And I, at that time, at least in my life, like I, I was not there yet, you know, still yeah. figuring things out. Who do I want to be, especially as an artist, but it always seemed to come naturally to you. And I don't know, like, is that something you just felt as a kid? Like, is this just who, who you always knew that you were or something that you grew into? And I know your creative expression has evolved. Mm. So theater, music, and we're going to get into your circus performance, mm. which you've yep. been doing. So like that evolution itself speaks to, OK, this is who I am. I know this. But when did that awareness set in for you? Oh, my. I I don't actually know because I, I have this weird, <clears throat> like this conflicting feeling of being um, totally sure, totally confident up on the stage. I deserve to be here. Um, I'm not going to be everyone's flavor, but I'm feeling myself right now kind of thing to the absolute imposter syndrome. What am I doing here? I'm like everyone's like, like, do you ever look back at things and you just cringe? You lay awake at night yes, and you're just constantly. remembering everything. <laughs> I think about that of yesterday. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. I'm up on the stage and I'm just like really feeling the thing and I'm letting go and I'm, I'm whatever it is. But then I'll spend the next two weeks recalling things that I said into the microphone or which I will do for this included. <laughs> and and you just have those moments of of self-doubt but it, it is having people like yourself just just reflecting back and being like wow i saw this and i'm like oh cool mm -hmm. thank you for that interpretation you know um so i i don't know mm, i don't know where i i don't know mm. I, I read something recently that i hadn't really considered in this way that Every person that knows you knows a different version of you. Yeah. So e even Mike and I, having been married for, you know, or dating at least for more than a decade, like, I I believe I know you very well, but I would know you in a different way than even your mother and your brother mm -hmm. and your your closest friends. And then it goes into thinking about that relationship of with yourself. So how do I see myself and am I being received in the ways that I think I am with yeah. this collection of people? So sometimes, yeah, it can be hard to know, like, when all of these things click together. But we saw it in you. Yeah. You know, we see this confidence in you. But it's interesting to feel like, well, that's great. I want that. But I maybe don't feel that all the time myself. A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I definitely didn't feel it. Um, but I mean, like... And the boys knew me very um, intimately all uh, in, in a whole other way. Um, but they all had that same confidence. Do you know, I, I was kind of feeding off of them on the stage. Like there was something so special about how 
the boys let go entirely. If you look at pictures or videos, um, and we used to make fun of ourselves about some of the faces that we made Mm. on stage. And you look at those pictures, but it was so beautifully raw. Like these guys, like Kevin would just jump so high up and down. (laughs) And Ryan's faces when he was, but it was, we were so into what we were doing and really all feeling it. Um, I think it was just feeding off of them a hundred percent. Like, and, and I feel like the audience fed too, you know, mm-hmm. like you're looking and, and people are just losing their bananas and, and flipping all over each other and, and like literally falling over. Um, there was one point, I don't recall who it was. It might've been EMC, but one of us fell on the stage and laid there on the ground. And the rest of us just looked down and went, yup. And we all laid down on the ground together and finished the song laying on the ground. Uh, yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I think it was just being in a safe space because those boys made it safe to fully be um, present on stage. I think that's what it was. Was being a woman in the industry at that time different than how it might be now? I don't know because I don't know how it is now. Yeah, fair. They didn't make it different. Mm-hmm. Um, I I mean, they, yeah, there was, a, there was, a, it was anything that would have happened to me that kind of was like a woman in the industry. It never would have <clears throat> come from them. But I did have this one experience. I think it was Music Week in Yarmouth. And I, I'm pretty sure it was there. Anyway, we were loading up backstage and one of the security guards stopped me and he said, girlfriends, wait out there. Oh. <laughs> and I was like. And you're like, is that where your girlfriend Oh, is? shit. He wouldn't let me backstage. And the boys actually had to come back and be like, no, she's in the band. Mm. Or I would have, you know, when we're setting up, some would be like, oh, you must play the keys. I'm like, oh, and I did eventually. Yes, I did play the keys in the band in the end. <laughs> like, it was, it was. There were some assumptions. Yeah, yeah. Just curious. Most of the bad experiences I've ever had in the music industry have been with security guards, not, yeah. <laughs> not, not like people actually in the industry. It's people yeah, who are hired right. to work at a place. Like, and it's most of the time it's them setting a line where they think. They're doing their job and mm-hmm. they're just, they're just not very smart people. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like, okay. And there's times where this line has to bend in different ways, you know, mm. and they just don't understand. Like you shouldn't make my wife wait outside in the cold while, when there's no one in the bar and we're just packing up our guitar cases. She's, it's all right Seriously. if she stays in the bar, yeah. even though the owner said, get everyone out. Yeah. Like if I go if I call up the owner and ask him if my wife can stay in the bars, he would say, of course she can. Mm-hmm. Like you just have to use some common sense in situations like that. And that's usually the scenario where I've had issues. It's never been with someone like, I don't know, disrespecting me or my band or anyone. It's just people that are stupid, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not to say that bad stuff doesn't happen out there. And, and I'm a, I'm or a that it's <laughs> exclusive to security yeah, guards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, it pretty much is. Though. They're, they're pretty stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. fast forward now. I so when we, when we reached out to you to see if you would be willing to come be on our podcast, your response was something like, "Well, I have therapy clowning that day, but we'll try to yeah. work it in on a break." And we sort of had a giggle of like, "Only Vanessa Furlong." <laughs> would respond in this way i am clowning so let's talk about that how did you go from music to getting into oh my god so so i want one i mean so all five of us in three sheet we had all kind of separated off to do to pursue other paths and mine was circus um it was getting really difficult um because circus was um paying the bills mm-hmm. um and with three sheet a lot of our money went back into the band um just to kind of help with the merchandise or the travel and things like that so it was getting difficult for me to say yes to gigs there when circus was paying so we that was my path was going off to circus um and was doing that oh, for a while 
And then out of the blue, this job, there's only one position in all of Atlantic Canada, and it's therapeutic clowning. One position in all of Atlantic Canada. This one guy had it for 13, 15 years, and he, he pioneered it here. Like, he was the first one. He started up that position, and now he's retiring. And that position comes up, and I was like, oh, do I want to go back to the 9 to 5? The answer is no, but, like, single mom. But like, as a clown. But as a clown. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I get to keep the arts still. Um, I get to do, you know, because although I got laughed at for saying I was going into psychology, that still remained a passion for mm. me um, in in pursuing just some sort of a therapeutic something. Um, so I applied and I got it. And when I got it, I went, ruh row. Now what? Because now I got to do it. Yeah. So so it there was a lot of hemming and hawing for me because it was going back to the nine to five. It was working for someone again instead of, you know, being uh, an independent artist. And that was a really difficult decision to make. Um, but it's just the coolest job. Like I am a character and I don't do like the painted face kind of like when someone thinks of a, a clown I don't do that but it's a character who is so far removed from the social ladder I'm so far down in fact on that social ladder that anybody in my presence is automatically above mm. and the power that that gives that person particularly when they're in a hospital in a place where they may be losing some dignity, some control, where there's fear, the unknown, to have someone come into your space that is below you in that moment is therapeutic in itself. Yes. It's like a total letting go of the ego for you, which is a hard thing to do. All of the failures that I am are the greatest parts of my character. And so I can unmask completely. And that is what makes it great. So when I ask for permission to come into someone's room and they say no, great. And I walk away because I'm the only person in that hospital that they can say no to. Everyone else, it's a part of the service. Like you have to, you know, you have to do your blood work. You have to this, that, yeah. and the other thing. But they can say no to me. Um, or if they do say yes, then we can disrupt the hospital you know we can throw paint at the walls <laughs> sorry everyone at the hospital um but we can um we can pull pranks we can um go running through the hallways we can whatever it is that this person needs to make this space not so scary not so clinical not so institution um what is it that we can be doing together um just to play so that's that's my job, which is kind of cool. It's absolutely beautiful. That's powerful too. Yeah, that's neat. That's pretty. That nice. I'm a little teary eyed hearing oh. you talk about this for real. Like, what a special thing for you, and just a perfect person to offer that. It mm. it would just take so much. I don't want to say sacrifice because I don't sense that you feel it in that way, but it it would take a special person to be able to put themselves aside. Right. And just embody that role and be there for others all day long. Yeah. And it is, it is for all, like, it's not just the kids, it's the staff. It's yeah. all because they're all in a space of high stress, and particularly in the last few years. Mm. Everyone is feeling it. And so if there's just someone who randomly gets on an elevator with you and is like, all right, who's singing first? You know, there's just this brief moment of, oh, my word, like, <laughs> like, really, or I'll take a rubber chicken and just fling it or whatever it is. Um, Are you in the same costume every day? Every like, is your day. character the same, same person or identity each day? Okay. Same every day. And what's the name of oh, your character? <laughs> Can we say? <laughs> See, my thing is being... <sighs> I'll I'll give you her accent, but I won't give you her name just because mm -hmm. um, my thing is I want for the families for that to be anonymous to them. Because, okay. Because if you think about it, the second they know who I am and they start looking me up, it gives me a social status. 
and I'm no longer. That makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The thing that they're that they're having into their room, they now know that everything that I have done and and who I actually am and what I actually represent, and it changes the way that they'll talk to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and kids, I mean, kids are all over the social media, and so they'll be, you know, and and for them to have like their sweet clown, like, oh, look, and you also did some boudoir over there, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So, so yeah, that's that's a that's a thing that I keep, yeah, keep kind of. That's a great answer. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm glad you've honored that. Yeah. And yeah. so, are you in multiple different? Oh, I should say multiple. We only have two major hospitals, I suppose, in the city. I'm but just in the one. You're just yeah, in one I'm hospital. Just with okay. Youth. Yeah. Okay. Just with youth. It's something. Um, I mean, everywhere else in the world, and even in Canada, um, aside from Atlanta, Canada have multiple clowns in their hospitals. They have it for dementia care and elder care in general. They have it um, in outpatient and inpatient because it is seen as a valid evidence-based practice. Like this is, there are studies on it. This works. Um, And as the same as music therapy does and any other art therapy, this is a very important alternative point of care. But it's it's it, there's just one here, so we're still working on it. What it's such a unique role. Yeah. I, I have a million questions. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like it does, they are challenging situations to walk into? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And I I don't know the exact situations. I'm sure there's people who are probably terminal and yeah. and whatnot, but. That seems like an incredibly challenging situation to walk into to say, okay, I got to make this very sick kid laugh or mm. make them feel better. How, how do you approach that? So I guess just not having the goal of anything because a clown's goal in, in, in another setting may be to get that laugh, but I'm not there to make anything. I'm there to be present. So. I I have lost lots of friends, you know. I've been the last person that kid was with. Um, it is, what can I do for you in this moment? What do you need? So when I come into that room, I'm evaluating um, what that what that situation is and, and what I can offer up. What are the needs? Does this child need to get a frustration out? Do they need to tell me what to do? Um, and so one of the gags that I have is um, I'll lose, I have these rubber chickens that I fling and I'll lose one on the ceiling. And this kid will boss me around on how to how to fetch that thing. How do I get it down? Is it problem solving? Is it bossing someone around? Do they simply need someone to read to them? Do they, um, does the parent just need some space? Do I need to take kiddo out and go find, mm. what do they need? How can I be present for them? They wa- They may not laugh. I may not be funny at all. I may just be the one thing that's giving them a yes instead of a no, right? So were you working throughout the pandemic on location? Mm. Yeah, I was considered essential staff. Oh my gosh. So that, and I mean, this this role saved me because Mm. I I couldn't circus during the entire pandemic. Um, This being considered essential service and being allowed to practice some form of art that was guaranteed income, it saved me mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but yeah, I was in there and and the role was entirely different because we went from having activity rooms filled with kids to no one can leave their room ever. You know, you are isolated to that room and your caregiver, whoever that is, they can't leave. So if you've got two caregivers, two parents, you can't switch them out. Mm-hmm. And so there, it, it was a very different feel. Is the approach you take as a therapeutic clown to just kind of be there for someone and give them what they need, is that what all therapeutic clowns do? Just because in, in my, my vision of a clown, it's just mm. a goofy, yeah. goofy yeah. person trying to make people laugh. Yeah. And and your description of it is is amazing. Like, I, I love that. And it is really psychology based. Like you're walking in, like assessing the situation, mm-hmm. trying to figure out what is needed in this moment. And I, I'm just curious if that's kind of if a therapeutic clown is kind of different from what most people are probably envisioning as a regular clown, or is this kind of your approach you you put to it? 
It's a little combo of all. Like therapeutic clowning, it does require that you do have that specialized training. You do need to know how to be sensitive to the situation and to the environment. Like you need to know, oh, this kid's got a trach. So there are things that I can and cannot do. Mm. Um, There are things not to say like, oh, is this mom? You know, like don't, you know, there's just there's some informed training that needs to happen. But my approach... um, is similar to the last guy who was in, but it isn't the same as all therapeutic clowns. Um, some therapeutic clowns are there for five minutes. They've got this, you know, they'll be there, they'll build a little bit of relationship and then they go, but they got to see like 45 kids that day. And my role, um, I'm seeing kids sometimes for like 30 minutes up to an hour, which is not at all common. Um, and it, it just kind of, evolved out of the pandemic um, because I wasn't trained as a therapeutic clown at all. I was trained as a clown, um, but I, and and not a ha-ha slapstick clown. I was trained as, you know, like failure is funny clown. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was making it up as I went. And so I was like, this is what the kids want when I come into the room. This is what they're asking for. So I'm just going to take the role in that in that direction. So, yeah. It is different. Can I ask, and just to your level of comfort, how you manage what I imagine you must be exposed to, the energy you're putting out, mm-hmm. just the unexpected nature of each day. Do you have a, a routine or a practice that helps you stay grounded? Yeah. I. It's funny. The sick children don't affect me as much as the abused children. That one I can't handle. So going into a space, illness and death is inevitable. Abuse shouldn't be. And so that's where I, I, I have the hardest time. So for me, it's, it's um, having to, I have to take frequent breaks. I really do. Um, there are some folks who can like power through an eight hour shift and like get, you know, 30 40 patients in or whatever i might only be able to do 10 that day but it's 10 of the highest quality interactions that i could provide with taking time in between to break um and then on top of that um you know journaling or running or just those things that are meditative where i can reflect back on what it was that had occurred um and but it's doing a meditative action so it might be um, running or going for a walk or a hike or something where I don't have to focus on anything other than r- running that scenario in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh my gosh. It's brilliant. And where does your circus performance fit into this schedule? Oh, this is the part that's painful. This <sighs> is woof because everything opened back up again. And yeah. so once it did, because before the pandemic, I was a full-time circus artist. That is what I did. The end. And then I had the job and I was like, wow, this is really beautiful to like come home at 4.30 mm-hmm. and work doesn't come home. I've got from 4.30 until I fall asleep. I've got my weekends. Now that everything's open back up and everyone's like, oh, but you still perform? Cool, cool. Here's a bunch of events. I now have to balance training to be ready for those events plus going to work, plus performing the events, plus being a mother. Mm -hmm. And so that balance is not going well. Yeah. (laughs) It's not going well. Um, Because I have to take time off of like unpaid leaves of absence from work to go and do the other things or take my weekends to do the other things or, or, or. So, yeah. So that's what you're in the midst of now. Yeah. 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 And so it's like, cool. Um, do I want to go back full time as an artist? And can I? Because everything's more expensive now. And I'm on my own raising a child. Like, not on my Like, I do have a co-parent. But, like, physically in a home, I'm on my own. So how do I do that? And give up the one incredible position that I absolutely adore. How do you choose? How do you choose? Yeah, that's really tough. And this yeah. is why, like, well, like I watch and I listen to you and that 
that episode that you had done on like making that decision and just and, and I'm witnessing you even now like that tour you would just come off and you were just like is this my and I'm like that that I miss I miss that it is and I think it was so important for me in not only in that episode but but still now to remind myself that while I am grateful to have given myself that permission, I have no regrets. Mm. I am loving my life. It was a very, very difficult and emotional decision to make. Yeah. And I would never dismiss that for someone in your circumstances or any circumstances that's grappling with that decision because there are real consequences. Mm -hmm. You you think to yourself like, well, money will be unstable or Perhaps, uh, you know, time with my child will look different. And all of those things are true. Yeah. I, I don't regret it, but it's not like you're stepping into this. Everything is easier and rainbows and just handed to <laughs> yeah. you like it, it comes with its own set of challenges. So yeah. I, I I hear you and and understand the the battle. It's it's cool, at least from an outsider's perspective, to think like, well, the job you have does sound absolutely epic in in so many ways. I'm particularly drawn to the way that you're able to serve others in that role. It's something now and only now a few months into being a full-time artist that I'm almost longing for. Mm. And Mike and I have talked about this recently in that in my former role, especially in the Justice Department that I was in, a lot of my files were about serving others. Mm. And that's something I think that's intuitive just to most human beings, creative or not. And now in this role, I, I know for myself I need to find a way for my creative expression to somehow be rooted in the service of others. I don't know what that looks like yet. Right. But it's it's time and change and evolution that you learn these things about yourself. Yeah. 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 And so having that's, that's space, tricky. having that space to do that. Yeah. To explore. I think yeah. that's the most crucial point. Um, because right now, when you have too much on your plate, you don't have that space to reflect. Exactly. So, yeah. And it's hard even if you do have the space for us to let ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Just, I, and I, I hate to use the word indulge, but that's the misconception in what we think we're doing. Yeah. We think we're being indulgent by not producing or not working ourselves to the bone, not working 10 hour days. Like this is what we've grown used to being the norm. Mm -hmm. So anything aside from that is like self-serving. But if you don't do it, you just run on this flat line of sameness and burnout and all the things. A hundred percent. I actually, I uh, w received a grant with an author to work on a new piece. And a part of that grant was, because it, it's a research grant, was taking time to just reflect and write and experiment. And, and it was super interesting to help this person understand that them sitting for five hours and just journaling or going for a walk and then and and thinking that was a part of the artistic process and and that they were being paid through this grant to do that felt indulgent they were just like this feels wrong that you know the that canada has <laughs> paid for me to go for walks with my dog to think about life. But I was like, you have to have those moments to change your art or to feed your art or to whatever it is that you need to do in your research project. But it does feel indulgent because we're asked to create content, 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 content all the time. And so, yeah, I'm even struggling with that now. Like I've got something coming up in a month. And I'm doing nothing but research. Everything that we're doing is garbage. It's going to look awful a month from now. But the point was the process and not the product, right? Mm. And so I'm hoping that the audience sees it and they don't like boo us right off the stage, but they understand that we spent all of that time finding out that none of it worked. And we have to go in an entirely different, 
you know, like, but that's indulgent. So we'll see. We'll see. Yet it's it's completely socially acceptable for us to burn ourselves out, have mental health concerns, be medicated Yet going for a walk that we're paid for yeah. is like, yeah, indulgent. <laughs> yeah. The grind. Everyone must grind. Yeah. The hustle. I'm over it. Yeah. Over well, it. your circus performance that I've seen um, with Legacy, mm. with you and Aaron Ball, yep. I'll first say that I'm not too familiar with circus, to be honest. Like, I've seen some things on TV and that's usually like the highlights off like the most like Cirque du Soleil the or Cirque something, Soleil. you know, yeah, like yeah. that's kind of what the average person sees as circus. And I went to your performance at, uh, was it Fringe? Fest? Yeah, it would have been. Um, yeah. And one of my songs was used in it. Uh, Kristen had the piece of art um, and I, I didn't know what to expect. And at the end of that show, I can honestly say I felt every emotion you could possibly mm. feel. And I left there just completely invigorated and thought that was one of the most amazing pieces of art wow. I've ever seen. Thank you. Like that was, it was just power. Powerful would yeah. be the word I would say. Wow. And a lot of it, the, the story, that's the storyline that you're following is, is an incredibly powerful story. Yeah. Yeah. But I never really knew that circus could do that to someone. And it was amazing to see. And why don't you just talk about what circus means to you and what, what you bring to the table, what you actually do. Because, um, right. again, the average person out there probably just picturing swinging on <laughs> yeah. things. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. that show in particular, if, if you would speak to what for Mike's sure. explaining just for the sake of the audience not having been there yeah well it, so legacy um kind of came about in 2016 with aaron and i um and, and aaron telling um her story of um so aaron is a double baloney amputee um and so there's a really um there's a deep story in there that we there's some literal, but there's also some metaphorical of like what it was that she had gone through and, and trying to tie it in with what it was that I had gone through um, and how that brought our paths together. And so the, you know, my character, how do they discover Aaron and, and what sort of lessons do we teach each other along the way? Um, and because everything that we do, um, we're trying to we're trying to, I don't even know, it's evolved, it's evolved since then, but a lot of our process involves access and how can we focus on that a bit more. Um, and so we will have things like creative access points, like is there a narrator? Um, is there a touch tour at the beginning for blind and partially sighted? Is um, there, so an example would have been, Kristen, your um, art piece was tactile um, and um, sort of laid out the landscape of where it was that they um, had found Aaron um, and do the lyrics of a song um, kind of tell the story a bit more. So that was how we had selected some of your work, Mike. Yeah. Um, do the lyrics actually speak to what's going on in the story? Does that help someone to better understand it? Um, and so what this does is because we're putting different bodies, different minds, and different um, processes into circus, it kind of changes what circus is because, you know, a, a lot of folks, if they'll look at my Instagram, will see, you know, me doing some very corporate stuff. You know, what are the pretty, pretty lights or is Vanessa playing with fire or it's in some sort of a glittery costume? That's one side of circus. You know, that's what's going to make sure that I pay my rent. And then there's the other side of circus, which is how does movement and and danger in the end, because circus mm -hmm. is kind of like dance with a little bit more danger and risk. How does that tell a story? How does the suspense that someone is feeling um, or the fear that someone has for a move or the awe, how does that tell a story? Um, yeah, because audiences do have an expectation of like superhuman people with superhuman bodies doing these tricks um, but can it be something else i agree with mike in our 
receiving of your show, had there been absolutely no sound or movement, just the visual alone of you and Aaron on the stage, like at, at, at its very rudimentary level, was stunning. So mm. you have you're on stilts and you know, Aaron's interchanging different sets of prosthetic or mm-hmm. uh, there's wheelchairs that are, you know, f- held up by silks and acrobatic yeah. and you're you're using one another's bodies and props. And uh, at the at the end, there's like fireworks that shoot out of Aaron's <laughs> legs. Like, come on. It's just it's incredible. And then for the story to be this back and forth kind of mutual love between one another and recognition of one another and telling the story of Aaron's accidents and accident story and how she came to have lost her legs. And it it couldn't be more powerful. You go through this complete spectrum of emotion, like you were saying, Mike, Mm. and it it was so unexpected for, I mean, we had a sense of, of you and Aaron and, and had met you prior to the actual performance, but I, I think anybody who would attend would have felt the same way yeah like a bit of surprise there yeah so are you still touring that show or a version of that show actually so ship's company theater um in parsboro um under the uh direction of um richie wilcox has picked up that show gonna help us workshop it in september and then we're gonna tour it awesome. so yeah so they're gonna bring in some schools to come and check it out and then it's gonna be open to the public and then after that we take it to seoul south korea amazing oh. yeah ho, 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 ho. So, so cool it's gonna be really cool yeah it's gonna be really one good. thing i was uh like all the emotions i said i experienced is definitely true another thing coming out of that show was like Holy shit, those girls are strong. You know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like you do yes. some uh, crazy things where you're just your upper body strength has to be incredible to be able to do. And how do you how do you get to that point? Like how how do you train for that? Mm, that's so that I did a whole piece on that last year because you know, it it builds over time, obviously, like you have to put in your training, whatever skill it is that you're building. um, You want to be working on your physio for that because you're trying to prevent injury. Um, Are you doing like weightlifting and stuff or is it more just the act of what you're doing is building the strength? A little bit of all of it. So, so for me, um, I uh, just for endurance, because I'm usually doing a full show, like most circus artists are doing like a five minute act and they're done. Yeah. But with Aaron and I, we're doing like 40 to 45 minutes long of a show. So yeah. I build up my endurance with running. I'm doing Taekwondo right now. And Taekwondo is building the strength, but also that flexibility and agility and speed. Mm-hmm. Um, weightlifting, obviously. I use like lifting a lot of humans too, like <laughs> just because they're wiggly little things. So when you're lifting the actual thing that you're going to be doing later on, like it just all those type of mobility things. But um, I, I guess the hardest part is like it, it builds over time. And when you take a long time off, it's gone. And that was so hard. So like I had taken, um, you know, two years off because the world shut down and coming back into it was so hard. Like I had to start from ground zero. Mm-hmm. There's some muscle memory there, but like you lose, you, you got to start over. It feels unfair. It takes so long to build it up and then it's just... Yeah. vanishes yeah. if you stop for a, a breath. Yeah. And yeah. this is, and it's a scary thing because you've got some circus artists who are getting addicted to training who won't take days off even when they're injured because they're afraid of going backwards. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, but I mean, like I took two years, two years is different than like taking two weeks off, but <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah. Yeah. You, you really are. I mean, we're gone are the days, thankfully that we're Kind of evaluating one another's bodies, but yeah, you're you're, yeah. you're a strong gal. Be snugget, yeah. Be snugget, yeah. You've got this just fierceness about you. You always have, <laughs> but it show you. You just enter a room and you're like, I'm not messing with her. <laughs> oh, man. And you actually could pick someone up and twirl them around your head and throw them. Like that's I, what's that's I, just your I, job. I'm pretty sure that's in my next show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's well? I guess you already said a fair bit of what's next. You're going to Korea. Like, yeah. how did you ever expect anything like that? 
international, not a whole lot. No, I am. I mean, we went to Mexico, uh, performed at a disability arts festival there in 2019. Um, and then uh, this is exactly what we're doing in South Korea. So they have a disability arts festival there mm-hmm. and it is international. So there will be delegates and performers from all over. Mm-hmm. So we'll go. Um, our whole team are going up. We perform a show, but we spend the week networking with other folks who do um, focus on access. You know, what does that mean on and off the stage? So it's going to be neat. I think that is a very critical piece of your work and your story to talk about for a few minutes. And I'm reminded of how we really met the first time and how Mm. I met Aaron. And I had written a blog about my hearing loss. And Aaron, I believe, may have read it first. I think you were in a hotel, actually. And I like you, you guys were touring, perhaps, and, and came across this blog I had read and and reached out to me to connect on creating this this artwork. And I remember at the time feeling like, I wonder why they would want me. Mm. Like, I don't I don't belong. I don't deserve that title. I'm not enough of this community to belong. You were the single person in my life that changed that identity for me and that acceptance of myself and belonging of myself in the disability community mm. and said, like, and you even explained to me about, you know, hearing loss is different than deafness and there's still kind of this home for you. And I've I've recently gone completely deaf in this in my left ear. And we, we did an episode about that. But I've thought about you so many times and how meaningful what was probably just a small gesture for you or like just an explanation really completely changed my own outlook. And I I wanted to thank you for that personally, but also just acknowledge like I'm one of probably thousands of people that have benefited from the work that you do and the recognition of Mm. the disabled community. So thank you. Um, And I, I, I know there are just so many that are grateful for like this form of communication about it. Like, accessibility is something that's important in Nova Scotia. And I think we're aware of what some disabilities can be, but especially invisible illness, like you've brought, you've done work and um, yeah, I don't know if you want to speak to that. It was really just important for me to, to share those words with you. But um, if there's anything within that community that would be important to you to speak of as well, please. I just so appreciate that you even shared that because I remember that exact conversation and talking about, you know, big D versus little D death, yes, right? Yeah. yeah. I learned and, that from yeah. you. And yeah. And I was like, there's, be- and the reason why I appreciate that is because it was, it felt very much like a, like a pass the torch because when I was working with Aaron, um, we faced a lot of, you know, Aaron is physically disabled. Like it is something that people see and, they weren't seeing my own disability. And because um, I, I wasn't very vocal about it for a super long time, um, it, it was this, well, I'm not disabled enough. I'm not disabled enough. I can't be a part of this community, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was Aaron who was just like, shut up, you know, mm-hmm. and and do you feel at home in this community? Do you Do you believe in this process? Is this does this speak to you kind of thing? Um, because And claim that, right? And so for me to take that, and then I was like, oh, there are other people who need to to know that for themselves, Yes, you know, um, to, to pass that along. Um, and so I'm so glad that that resonated. Yeah. 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 Yay. This is, uh, we're touching on so many things. We got your life story. We get to learn I'm learning a lot from you about how these different types of creative expression can exist too. Like I never would have thought of like therapeutic clowning or even circus, like a Mm. few years back before I saw your show, like that changed my perspective on things and the way you've explained things to Kristen, like you're, you're a messenger for a lot of good things. It feels. Yeah. I, I think as artists, we often, 
relate to or connect with the thing that we do is who we are. So Mike, I'm a musician. Kristen, I'm a painter. I feel like, Vanessa, you're this collection of work and the what you give like you're you're yeah you're more of this conduit you're more of this messenger it's it goes beyond just the the product that you that you land with that's so like I'm, <laughs> I might get emotional it's okay but what an what an awesome cuz because I wondered about it like I skip from one art form to the other I'm like I do theater. I do film. I do music. I do fashion. I do. And so many people have commented on that. They're like, you've literally jumped from one thing to another. And I was like, is this because I haven't found a thing or is it just I keep finding new mediums? Yeah. And ex- that's exactly like it's it's observed as like and, and we do this to ourselves too. like, oh, I'm jumping around. I change my mind mm, a lot and I move mm-hmm. a lot and I date a lot. And, you know, like I've always kind of struggled with that. And you realize like, no, it's it's a higher self than that, though, as yeah. to who I am. These are just the channels at which my message and my offerings are Oof. being expressed. So Oof. that's you, my oh, friend. That is. Mm, 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 mm. Well, take that you just laugh, laugh it up yourself. <laughs> like it's it's such a it's a teaching. Dang. Yeah, this yeah. is a real teaching. And, and I think there'll be like those who listen to this episode will be like, I never knew that before. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you can thank Vanessa. You can check out where where should people look for your work? Where would you like to, mm. to direct them? Well, um, I think legacy underscore circus on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Vanessa underscore Bobessa on mm. Instagram. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I mm. Yep. That's, and we'll post that. all this stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm really terrible at posting on Legacy. I'm much better at posting on Vanessa. So, yeah. Vanessa Bobessa. Yeah. <laughs> There's even a song that you can there sing is. to remember this. So it should yeah. be a no-brainer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's really an honor to have you here. And again, like I said, it's just nice to to learn all these amazing things and things that can help people just understand the world better and just people around them and we're grateful to have you in our life and you know that someone like you is out there doing these great things. So we're just, uh, yeah, it it's, it was a great conversation, bud. And, uh, this was so good. Yeah, to so salt of the earth, a human. Well, right we just Mm-mm. adore you. So, you. so nice to see you. Yep. It's been a couple of years since we've been able to just be in your company That's and true. you're just a light like you've always been. Mm, let's yeah. do more. Let's do more. Definitely. Yep. Okay. Signing out. Signing out. Signing Cheers, out. Bud.